This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. So glad you're all here tonight. Uh, And we are continuing, if you were here last week, Pastor Shelley brought a word. We're continuing our Thrive series. And remember that all throughout the summer on Wednesday nights, we're talking about that we want to be in health in all areas of our lives. We want to be progressing in all the areas of our lives, whether it's our spiritual health, our physical health, mental health, emotional health, financial health, or our relational health. We're gonna be looking all through the word of God today as we talk about spiritual health, so if you didn't bring a Bible and you'd like to have one with you, just lift up your hands and our awesome team of ushers will bring a Bible to you that you can use. Once you get your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to the book of 1 John, and I'll start in chapter three. And I talked about this a little bit at our men's night on Sunday night, if you were there. But the Lord's been speaking to me throughout this summer that I need to be intentional in everything that I'm doing. Intentional as a father, raising my children. I can't just float by and hope that they turn out good. I've gotta be intentional to train them up in the way that they should go. He's been speaking to me to be intentional in my marriage, that I spend intentional time making sure my wife knows that I love her, showing her love in the way that she receives it best, that I need to be intentional in my relationship with the Lord and spend time with him, dedicated time every single day, that I need to be intentional in my physical health, whether it's what I'm eating or how I'm exercising. You see, we live in a world that is naturally decaying, If you pick a flower out of the ground and set it to the side, what's gonna happen? It's going to wither. Even us as adults, we we grow until we're 18 or so, and then our body starts to decay. That's what happens naturally in life. And just like standing on a treadmill, if you stop being intentional on a treadmill, if you stop going forward, you're gonna be thrown backwards and your video's gonna end up on TikTok, right? So I believe that in order to be healthy in any area of our lives, we have to be intentional. It's not just going to happen. It's not gonna be this thing that just, oh wow, I just looked up one day and all of a sudden I'm this really healthy guy with all these muscles. No, it's intentionality, okay? So in order to be healthy in any area, we have to be intentional. So today is our last day talking about spiritual health. And in order to be spiritually healthy, we have to have a right perspective. This perspective shapes our spiritual health. And it's the answer to two questions. So if we can correctly answer these two questions tonight, then I believe that we are going to be spiritually healthy. The first question that we have to answer is who is God? If you're taking notes today, write that down. Number one, who is God? Now this is obviously the broadest answer to any topic you could ever ask about, right? I mean, we know that that God is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. We know that he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning of the end. We know that he's the trinity, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. We know that he's Emmanuel. He's God with us. We know that he's our helper, our comforter, our counselor. We know that he's the creator and the sustainer of all things. And we we can talk about all of the things that God is. But I believe for us to be, have a healthy perspective and to be spiritually healthy, we have to understand that God is 
our Father. Let's look in 1 John chapter three. In verse one it says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And then he goes on to say, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. See, the Bible's very clear in the book of Genesis that we were created in the image of God. And this verse says that we're not all the way like him yet, but when we see him as he is, we're gonna be more like Jesus. We're becoming more like Jesus, and the reason the world doesn't understand us is because they don't understand him. Because you can look at my children, and you can say, those belong to him because of the way they look. Some of my children, you can look at them and say, those belong to him because of the way they act. Sometimes you can say, I don't know if they look more like their mom or more like their dad, right? But we can look at children and see their parents in them. And it's the same with us and God. He has created us with his thumbprint on us. That we are made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. And this verse is so incredible because it says that he's our father and we are his children. Isn't that good news? And so the second question we answer, the first one was who is God? And who is God? He's our father. And the second question that we have to answer to be spiritually healthy is who am I? And the answer to that question is, I'm a child of God. I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews. Back just a couple of pages to your left. We're going to Hebrews chapter 12. So naturally I begin to understand God's perspective of us as father after I had kids. But whether you have kids or don't have kids, whether your kids are very young and you've Maybe you, you don't have kids yet, but you plan on someday. Whatever boat you're in, all of us had parents. Now, not all of us may have lived with our parents. Maybe you lived with one of your parents and not the other. Maybe your parents are no longer with us. But our, our parents and their view of us and our view of them sometimes shapes how we view God. But what you have to remember about God is that not, he's not just a father. He's a perfect father. The Bible says that he's perfect in all of his ways. And so we have to see ourselves as not just children of any father, we're children of a perfect father. So we're gonna read several verses in Hebrews chapter 12. We're gonna start in verse five, and this is gonna give us an incredible perspective into us being children of God. So Hebrews 12, verse five. It says, and you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you, as the father addresses his son. And so already we see that this is gonna be God talking to us just like a father would address one of their children. And if, if your father always spoke to you harshly, if your father always spoke to you out of anger, or if your father didn't speak to you much at all, then these words may not make as much sense the way that the father's heart is towards us. But I'm gonna hopefully give some clarity on this to us in just a little bit. But just know that these words are coming from a perfect father. So it says, this is coming to us as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves 
and chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And so you may be thinking, so I'm supposed to welcome God's discipline on me and celebrate that, and I'm supposed to love when God disciplines me because he's doing it because he loves me? And you may be thinking, you know, God standing up there with a paddle and you're about to get swatted on the rear. For us, when I was growing up, you know, we got spanked. My dad would make us help him make the paddles. So we had to go out, we had to like pick the piece of wood out, we had to cut it in the right shape, and then he even made us like sand the finger holes so it'd be comfortable when he held it. I'm like, this is torture. You know, you may have had to go pick up your own switch from the, from the backyard. There's you know, all sorts of ways that we get spanked. So that may be your viewpoint here. God's disciplining me, so I must have done something wrong, and he's out to get me. That's not it at all. And what I wanna do is show you what this word discipline means in Greek. And you may wonder, why do people always do that? Every time I go to church, people are telling me what Greek and Hebrew words are. I don't care, I speak English and or Spanish. But the, the important thing is, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. That's the language that the Old Testament was written in. The New Testament was written in Greek. That's the language it was written in. The thing about Greek and Hebrew is that they are more complex languages than English is. And I'll illustrate it this way. In English, we say, I love God. I love my wife. I love my mama. And I love fried chicken. Surely, you don't esteem the God that created you in the same way that you esteem fried chicken, right? We know that those things mean different to us, but it's the same word. Well, in the Greek language, those four things have four different words. There are four different words that we translate as love. And so you can get more insight into a word or its meaning if you look in the original language the Bible was written in. And so we're gonna do that. So let's look at the word discipline in Greek. And here's what it is, paideia, everybody say paideia. Why do I make you say that? I have no idea. Probably because I used to be a teacher, that's what, it's, that's what it is. Okay, here's what it means, listen carefully. Paideia, and this is the word that they translated as discipline, it means the whole training and education of children, which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals, and it employs for this purpose now commands and admonitions now reproof and punishment, it also includes training and care of the body. And the second definition is, whatever in adults also cultivates the soul, especially by correcting mistakes and curbing passions. And so, I know it's wordy, but I hope you get the picture that when this says discipline, that the Lord disciplines those he loves, think of it as he's shaping you. He's training you. This is about making you ready for something that he has for you in the future. This is about shaping you and molding you into something that he needs you to be or something that he's created you to be. He's making you more into the image of God. And it says, it specifies that even as adults, sometimes we need to be corrected. We need to have our mistakes corrected. Sometimes as adults, anybody ever been passionate about something that wasn't necessarily godly? Maybe that's something from before you got saved. But sometimes we need those passions, our flesh curbed. We need our flesh to be put against the spirit, that we live by the spirit and not by our flesh. When this says that the Lord disciplines those he loves, you can think of it like training, educating. God is making us in 
to what he's created us to be. And so we see discipline in a whole different light. And you heard it does include punishment. I believe that a lot of times the Lord's punishment with us is allowing us to experience the natural consequences of our choices. You never you know, begged God to, God, if you'll just get me out of this situation, I promise I'll, I'll serve you all the days of your life, and you still had to suffer the consequences. I, I believe even that is the love of God. And as a father, uh, usually, you know, I have stories from my seven-year-old, but my two-year-old gave me insight into this discipline of the Lord. She likes to do things herself. She is very independent. And at two years old, her favorite words are, Mommy, I do it. She wants to do it herself. She also is terrified of Band-Aids. I have no idea why. I promise I didn't do anything to make her afraid of Band-Aids. She's just afraid of them. So the other day, she wants to put her own shoes on so she can go out and play, and her favorite shoes is, is this pair of pink cowgirl boots. So she goes and she puts her cowgirl boots on. Well, the problem is she did not put socks on, and she put the cowgirl boots on the wrong feet. I don't wear cowboy boots, but I assume that uh, you all know what's about to happen. When she gets back inside the house after running and playing with shoes on the wrong feet and no socks on, she has blisters all over her feet. And one of those blisters had already popped and it was on top of her toe, and she is devastated. I mean, she's like sobbing, shaking, like it hurts, it hurts. And so we're trying to help her, we're like, okay, listen, we need to put a Band-Aid on it. Before the word Band-Aid got out of my mouth, she starts, the tears, she's crying, bawling, no, I don't like a Band-Aid. So I'm like, Abigail, we have to put a Band-Aid on. This is what's best. It's, if you put socks on without the Band-Aid, it's gonna make things worse. And so we put the Band-Aid on, she stops shaking, and miraculously, when she can't see the owie anymore, she starts walking faster. She gets a little happier, things are, are looking up until we take her socks back off the next day and the Band-Aid starts to come off. She's, she's lost it again. It's, it's the end of the world. The Band-Aid is coming off. She's in so much pain. She can't walk, she's limping. And so this dramatic little two-year-old, so I'm, listen, we need to take the Band-Aid off so we can put another one. She's like, no, that's a Band-Aid, no. So I decide, you know what, she, she can do this. So I tell her, Abigail, Take your Band-Aid off, the one that's flapping. Take your Band-Aid off. So she says, I can't, I can't. Well, we've taught our kids, the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so they're not allowed to say, I can't. They're allowed to say, I need a little help. And so I say, do not say, I can't. You say what the Bible says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I can't do. So she reaches for the Band-Aid with her little fingers. She reaches for it on her toe, literally shaking, shaking more. She almost grabs it and then pulls away and just starts bawling. She can't pull the Band-Aid off. I'm like, oh my gosh. This would be so much easier if I just do it for you, right? But I'm trying to teach her something. I'm trying to train her. And so I make her say it again. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so I pull the Band-Aid most of the way off, still hanging on a little bit, and she's shaking and she's shaking and she reaches down to her toe and grabs the Band-Aid, and she's crying and crying, and she pulls it off, and all of a sudden the tears stop flowing, and everything's fine. She starts laughing at herself. She's like, I did it. <laughs> yes, you did. You took a Band-Aid off. <laughs> Good job. And so I tell her, go throw the Band-Aid in the trash. So she stands up. The limp is back, because we can see the owie now, so we're limping. And she goes, throws the Band-Aid away, and we put another Band-Aid on. Well, the next day, we take the socks off, the Band-Aid's almost all the way off, so I tell her, Abigail, take the Band-Aid off. 
So she reaches down there and pulls the Band-Aid off. Why? Because she learned she can do it. Jesus can help her, she can do it. And you know what, that, that as, as her father training her and teaching her, I wasn't punishing her, making her take that Band-Aid off. It probably felt that way to her. She, she knew that I could do it easier than her. She knew that I could just reach down, pull that Band-Aid off, and that's what she wanted. But I knew that she needs to learn at two years old with something as simple as a Band-Aid on a blister that she can rely on the help of the Holy Spirit to get her through hard times. And when my kids uh, were on the playground and they're scared of going down the slide, and we teach them, you can do this. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And we make them go down even though they're crying and scared. They learn that they can do things through fear with the help of God. And, and I believe that that's the heart of our Father with us, his children. That he's shaping us, molding us, using the circumstances and the situations in our life to show us that he's greater to show us that he's all powerful, to show us that we can trust him, to show us that he is faithful. And then we come and we go to a harder situation in our lives and we get to a medical diagnosis or we get to a family member being sick or, or on their deathbed even. We get to financial difficulty, we get to a job loss. But I learned back then when my dad made me take that Band-Aid off my toe that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, God, your father, wants to train you and he wants to equip you for what he knows you're going to face in your life. The Bible says in James to consider it pure joy when you go through trials of various kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, lacking nothing. God wants to get us to a place where we lack nothing in our hearts, that we are mature, that we are complete, and that we trust in him. And so when the Lord's walking with you through trials, through temptations, through hard times in your life, recognize it as that discipline, that, that training, that equipping, that shaping and that molding you into his image, amen? So we're answering two questions tonight. We're answering who is God and he is what? And we're answering who am I and I am his child. My son is five, and his favorite sentence, the sentence that I hear the most out of his mouth is, Daddy, will you play with me, right? He wants to play Mario Monopoly, his favorite game. He beats me almost every time. He's incredible at it. I don't think I need to send my kids to school because they learn math from Mario Monopoly, so I'm trying to get that put in the curriculum. I haven't heard back yet. He wants me to just be with him. Doesn't matter what we're doing. That's what he wants. And so to grow our relationship with our father... As his children, we need to spend time with God. We need to be with God. To sit and meditate on his word. To pray and talk to him. The Bible says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. You can hear the heart of a father in that verse where he just says, come, come tell me what's going on. I, I care about you. It doesn't matter how big or how small. I just wanna hear about your struggles. I wanna hear about your heart, what you feel. I wanna hear about the pain you went through today. I wanna hear about what that person at work did to you. Just come sit and talk with me. That's the heart of our Father to us. And we need to be intentional about spending time with God. I believe that for me personally, and I believe it's for, for most people, that in order to have a relationship with God, in order to cultivate that, and in order to spend time with him every day, 
you've gotta have a plan. Because if you just think, I'll just get to it when I get to it, it's probably not gonna happen. Right, because we wake up in the morning and we eat our breakfast, get the kids all dressed, they go to school, we go to work, we come home, we mow the yard, we make dinner, and then it's bedtime and then the day's over and we're spent. And so in order to be intentional in spending time with our Father, the way that I like to say it is that you gotta make an appointment with God and keep it. And don't think you have to do all this extravagant stuff like, okay, I need to read the entire book of Genesis this morning and, and then I need to do a seven hour prayer vigil and then I can start my day, no. Read, read one chapter of the Bible. Read a psalm, read a proverb. Read one chapter in the book of John. Spend five, 10 minutes praying. Intercede for people, pray for somebody else. Bring, bring your hurts and your, and your faults and your flaws before the Father. He knows about them anyway, but he wants you to spend time with him. And so in order to cultivate that father and child relationship with God, we need to spend time being in his presence, not just Wednesdays and Sundays, but every day. And so God's our father, we are his child. Another way we answer this question, who is God, is that God is the owner. Turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 24. See, we're looking at just two areas, two answers to that question, who is God? And then when we answer the question, who am I? We're asking, what is my role in relation to who God is? And so my role in relation to him being my father is that I am his son or you are his daughter. And now we look at him as the owner. And in the book of Psalms, chapter 24, we're just gonna read verse one. It says, the earth is the Lord's. Who does the earth belong to? The Lord's. And he doesn't stop there. He says, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And so it makes the distinction that everything in the earth is mine and everyone in the earth is mine. God makes it very clear in one verse of scripture that he owns everything. Why? Because he created everything. Everything on this earth comes from God. Even the, the man-made things and ideas and buildings and all those things come from using God's resources. The ideas that we have come from the mind that God gave us. Everything comes from God, and it all belongs to him, and I myself belong to him. We are God's. I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. So if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, that means I have to recognize that I myself, my body, myself, my person, my spirit, my soul, I am God's. My children are God's. My, my finances, they're God's. My time is God's. My resources, they're God's. My influence, it belongs to God. And we taught our kids this from an early age, and we would tell them, the toys that you have, they belong to God. He just lets you use them. He lets you take care of them. This backfired on me. Whenever I was sitting at the table and uh, there was, I had like cookies or something, and Ellie said to me, Daddy, can I have your cookie? I said, no, it's mine. She said, no, it's not, it's God's. <laughs> so, all right. Matthew chapter 25. And we're gonna read verse 14. This is the parable of the talents. And this is a story that we probably all know, we've probably all read a lot. I'm not gonna read the whole story, 
But I wanna point out a couple things at the beginning of this parable, and it's in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. And Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. So he says, again, it, meaning the kingdom, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Let's stop there for a second. The Bible did not say that he gave them wealth. The Bible's very clear, it says that the master, when he left, he entrusted his wealth to the servants. And if you get to the end of this parable, when he got back from his journey, he called them to account. And they had to give an account for how they had used the master's money. And you remember at the end, the, the, the person had the five talents. He said, you gave me five talents, I invested, I made five more. Now here is what is yours, and he had doubled it, right? So these servants recognized that they weren't the owners of what they had been given, that they were servants serving the master. And in verse 15, it says, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, or that may say talents in the version you have, each according to his ability, then he went on his journey. So another thing we recognize is that not everybody got the same thing, but according to their ability, they were entrusted with a certain amount of the master's wealth. It's also worth noting that everybody got something. It didn't say, and to servant number four, he gave nothing. We've all been given gifts and talents and abilities and a measure of wealth and influence, and we've all been given the same amount of time. Even though we've been given different amounts, we've all been given but it's not for us and it doesn't belong to us. What we've been entrusted with still belongs to our master, Jesus. And so if we recognize God as the owner, then we have to recognize ourselves as his stewards. It's a word we don't use very often anymore except in the airline industry, but a steward is simply a manager. The definition for a steward is somebody who takes care of something that belongs to someone else. And this word servant, we're gonna go back and look in the Greek again. This word servant, it's the Greek word doulos. So it says these three servants of the master, here's what the word doulos means in Greek. One who gives himself up to another's will. This reminds me of what Jesus said when he was about to be crucified on the cross. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet not my will but yours be done. Have you ever prayed and asked God for something that you really wanted or you needed him to take care of something for you? Have you ever tagged it with, yet not my will, but yours be done? See, Jesus was surrendered, just like this says, he was a servant of God, one who gives himself up to another's will. The second definition is those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men. God has gifted each one of us. The Holy Spirit decides which of us get which gifts, but he's given each one. The Bible says we each have an allotment. But it's his decision how we're gifted, and it's for his purpose. It's to extend his kingdom on the earth. The third definition of servant in Greek, the word doulos, it means devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest. 
Are you so devoted to God and what he wants for your life that you disregard your own interests? And I think again that Jesus going to the cross was the perfect example of that. That he completely gave himself up for God's will and for God's purpose. He recognized that God was his father and that he was his son. He recognized that God was the owner and that as Jesus became a man, he was fully God, but he was fully man. He recognized that as a man, he was submitted to the will of his father. He was a servant, a steward of what God had entrusted to him. Turn one last scripture, go to 1 Corinthians chapter six. God is our father, we are his children. God is the owner and we are his stewards. We're taking care of his resources. We're taking care of his people. We're taking care of his influence. And we need to do it his way. 1 Corinthians chapter six, we're gonna just read verse 19 and 20. I like hearing all the pages turn. I'll wait till you get there. 1 Corinthians chapter six, here's verse 19. It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Here's the part we really gotta get a hold of. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, and that price was the precious blood of Jesus. It says, therefore, honor God with your bodies, that even this temple is not mine. And I believe that we need to steward everything that we've been given and recognize that all of it is God's. But just to name five different areas, we have to steward our bodies. We have to steward our physical health. We only get one body. And this body often determines the amount of time we spend on earth. We need to take care of our bodies. We need to steward our bodies well. We need to steward our money and recognize that this money, everything I've been given, the Bible says that it's God who even gives us the ability to get wealth. He's the one that gives us the ability to work. He's the one that created this body, this mind. We need to do a, a good job stewarding and recognizing that our money, our resources, they belong to God. We need to do a good job stewarding our time. In Ephesians, the Bible says, be careful how you use your time because the days are evil. Anybody guilty of wasting time? I know I am. But I need the Lord's grace and the Lord's help because I wanna steward my time well. I wanna use my time in a way that honors the one who gave me the time. We need to steward our relationships. You know, as a father, I say these are my kids. But really, they're God's kids. And one day when we get to heaven, they won't be my children anymore. We'll all be children of God. I need to steward them and their hearts and their spirits while they're on the earth. I'm called as a father to train them up in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. But they're God's. And I need to train them to recognize God as the owner and to recognize God as their father and teach them to have their own relationship with him. I need to steward my relationship with my wife. She belongs to him. And it is my privilege. He allows me and entrusts her to me as her husband but she still belongs to him. And I need to steward her needs, her interests. I need to love her well, because that's taking care of what is God's. And then your influence. You know what fame is? People who are famous. 
fame is really just having a lot of influence. And so now they started calling people who have a lot of followers on Instagram, they're called influencers. We need to steward our influence well. You may not be famous and you may not have the blue check on Instagram, but you still have influence. You have influence with your family, with your extended family. You have influence at work with your coworkers. You have influence right here in the body of Christ, in the house of God. You have influence when you're, when you're at Walmart and the grocery store. We've all been given a measure of influence. Are you stewarding your influence well? Are you leading people closer to Jesus? Because that, our influence is a gift of God and it belongs to him and we need to use it for him. And so in every area of our lives, we are stewards and he is the owner. When I was, I think I was 13, my dad wanted to go on this ski trip and he invited me to go with him. So it was him and all of his coworkers and I'm like, I've never been skiing before but the plan was I'll take lessons the first day and then the second day I can go skiing with all the guys. And so I went and you know, figured out how much money I'd earned. I think I was raking leaves. Maybe I had some birthday money left or something. And so I went and bought the things I needed. I got the goggles, I got a pair of snow gloves, but I didn't have enough money to buy ski pants. And so my uncle, who was about my size, he said, hey, I've got this really nice pair of ski pants. You can borrow them, take them on the trip. You can use them to ski. I'm like, this is great, I don't have to buy ski pants. He's like, they're really nice ones too. I said, okay, this is great. So I get all my stuff, everything went great the first day except that I went down the slope without learning how to stop first. And so my dad told me that my skis up in the air, I looked like a helicopter spinning down the mountain. Once we figured out stopping, everything was great after that. However, if you've been skiing, you know that your first time you're going to fall quite a bit. And so I fell quite a bit. On the second day, one of the times that I fell, the, the clasp or the latch on my boot inside the pants popped open and poked through the pants. And so I looked down and there's this giant hole in my uncle's pants and the, I can see the latch on the ski boot. So I was a little concerned until I started realizing these pants aren't mine. And I put a hole in them and he told me they were nice. And so I got back to the cabin and I'm looking up like how much do these pants cost? So I'm looking like what's the, what's the brand, what are they called? And I realized that this was over 20 years ago these pants cost $120. I was devastated. But I recognized still, these aren't mine, they're his. And so my thought was, okay, I'm just gonna bring him the pants like this and get on one knee and be like, I'm so sorry. But my dad said, when you borrowed his pants, they weren't broken. Now they're broken. You need to give him back what he let you borrow in the way that he gave it to you. And so my dad was teaching me a much harder lesson than taking off a Band-Aid. And I had to save my money until I had $120, and I went and I bought my uncle a brand new pair of these ski pants. And I remember the hard work saving up that money, $120 for a 13-year-old, especially 20 years ago, was a huge deal. But those pants weren't mine. They were his. And the condition he gave them to me in was without a hole in it. And so I've taken that with me, that lesson, and I'm able to apply it now. My dad taught me, when you have something that isn't yours, you take extra care of it and you return it in the way that they gave it to you. And so that's how I, I try to live my life and everything now. But I recognize that that's the way that God looks at me. You're using the stuff that's mine and Lord wants me to use it well. 
The, the good part of that story is that I took those pair of pants, the $120 pants with the hole in it, I got, uh, took them to a seamstress, they patched them for me, and I still have the pants to this day. They don't fit anymore, but I still wear them when I go skiing and I just like <laughs> tie the waist together. I had to fight for those pants, I'm wearing them still. Go ahead and stand up on your feet. And let's just bow our heads and we're just gonna recognize God as who he is and recognize ourselves as who we are. So Father, I thank you that you are our Father and that we are your children. Thank you that you discipline us because you love us. Thank you that your discipline is to correct us, is to train us, is to equip us, is to mold us and to shape us into who you created us to be. I thank you that you are the owner of everything and that you trust us as your children so much that you're willing to entrust your possessions, your wealth, your people, your influence, your time, you entrust it to us, help us to be good stewards. God, I pray for your grace and I pray that you would show us right now, open our eyes to know where we haven't been good children and where we haven't been good stewards. Show us where our viewpoint of you as father and as owner hasn't been healthy. Help us to answer these two questions correctly so that we can be spiritually healthy. And let this set the foundation for health in all other areas. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.